Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Debrief on ABC News Live. I'm Kimberly Brooks. Thanks so much for joining us. The Trump administration now wants to strike down the entire Affordable Care Act, so we'll let you know what that means. And the deadline for gun owners to get rid of their bump stocks is today. Plus, what happened after the big Apple announcements yesterday? We'll have all of that and more, but first, your headlines. I am highly confident when due process occurs that I will be fully exonerated and justice will be done. Thank you. Celebrity lawyer Michael Evanati now out on $300,000 bond. He's accused of trying to extort millions of dollars from Nike. Federal prosecutors say the former attorney for adult film actress Stormy Daniels tried to extort up to $25 million from Nike saying Avenatti claimed to have a client, a coach, who had damaging information about Nike payments to high school basketball players and their families, and threatened to go public, which would negatively affect Nike's market value. A suit and tie doesn't mask the fact that, at its core, this was an old-fashioned shakedown. The Pentagon now says it has carried out a successful anti-missile test. It used two missiles fired from California to shoot down a missile fired from 4,000 miles away. NASA has scrapped plans for the first ever all-women spacewalk. Two female crew members were supposed to make the historic walk outside the space station Friday. Here's the problem. Both women use medium-sized spacesuits, and there's only one medium on board that would be ready for the walk. So a man-woman team will make the walk. One of the most infamous mixed martial arts fighters may be retiring. The UFC's Conor McGregor says in a tweet that he's leaving the sport. All right, another big move from the DOJ. Just days after the Mueller report, the Trump administration is now taking a hard stance on the Affordable Care Act, saying the entire law should be struck down. So for more, I want to go to Devin Dwyer, who's at the Supreme Court, and Karen Travers at the White House. Karen and Devin, um, I just want you to talk us through this. What does this mean and the real-world impact it's going to have? Devin. Yeah, Kimberly, well, this is a major shift for the Trump administration, deciding overnight that they are going to agree with a federal district court that late last year struck down the entirety of the Affordable Care Act. What does that mean? Well, that means if the court's uh, ruling holds, everything in the law would be struck down, including pre-existing conditions, protections, those basic preventive care requirements, uh, subsidies for people that are buying insurance on the exchanges, and of course the expansion of Medicaid in this country, which uh, gave health insurance and health uh, coverage to millions more Americans. So a very significant move. Why does it matter what the Trump administration is saying? Well, it means uh, Kimberly, that uh, their opinion uh, will get heard by the appellate court judge. They're hearing the case now, so this is by no means the final word, but a significant shift from the White House in changing their position on this law. Millions of people, of course, have coverage under the Affordable Care Act. And Karen, I want to go to you. What does this mean politically? Obviously, health care was a major issue for the Democrats in 2018, I mean, during the midterm. So what do you think of this for them? 
Kimberly, it was the issue for Democrats. It's what they campaigned on during the midterm elections and a very key reason why they were able to take back the majority in the House. And you could look at this as the best political gift that the Trump administration could give to Democrats. And the timing is especially good because the president continues to take his victory lap over the findings from the special counsel, Robert Mueller. There's a fight on Capitol Hill right now over whether that report will be released to lawmakers and to the public. And now this gives Democrats the opportunity to put the issue of health care front and center. And Kimberly, remember, over the past couple of weeks, the president, his senior staff, have slammed Democrats for only focusing on investigations, for presidential harassment. The president himself said a couple weeks ago that they should be talking about issues like health care. We'll now look for Democrats to really zero in on health care and also point out that the president himself, last year on the campaign trail, at every stop, once they got a sense that Democrats were potentially going to take back control of the House. The president and his allies promised Americans that they would protect people with pre-existing conditions, and that was an important part of their pitch to midterm voters last year. Democrats are now going to say they're going back on that promise. All right, so obviously these decisions on health care have real-life consequences. And let's make no mistake, some people dislike the Affordable Care Act, but others, especially those with pre-existing conditions, support it. So I want a personal look, and I want to bring in Alma Boccoletti. Um, she's a student who's currently enrolled in Massachusetts um, at a, through a state-run health care program. So, um, Alma, thanks for joining us. What goes through your head when you see stories like these where people are trying to repeal this health care? Um, well, thank you very much for having me on the show. And the first thing that comes to mind is uncertainty. Um, I'm scared. I not only have a mother who is um, who's under... She's, um, we're waiting for a transplant for her. Um, she's on, she's a Medicare recipient also on the Affordable Care Act, and that actually absorbs the uh, percentage that Medicare doesn't cover. So questions that come to mind are immediately, will she still be able to have access to this transplant? Are we going to have to forego the years of healthcare coordination that she, that we've, you know, it's, take, it's taken a lot of from the family time, efforts, um, that we've put in for my mom's healthcare. And then goes me, um. You know, what's going to happen to me? I'm in school. I do have insurance through the school, but I also have other mental health issues that I have to go through therapy. Um, I have medications. Am I still going to have access to this? What's going to happen? You know, am I going to have to stop um, my therapies? Am, am I going to not be able to continue my education because I can't concentrate or because I have to go to or have to take time out for me? You know, these are the things that come to mind, and, and it saddens me, really very disheartening, because I'm also in a career path that's going to be, that, that revolves around this, that's going to need these resources available not only to myself, but to humanity. It's, it's just sad. It really is. It's a sad day to be a part of, really. And I just, I just, you know, one thing that you were um, speaking of earlier, like when you speak of mental health issues, um, this is coming from post-traumatic stress disorder from the Boston Marathon, right? Correct. Yes. Correct. And those are that's that's where I say the ironies lie. Here I am. I'm fine. I'm a bystander at um, the marathon about six years ago, and um, now I have to go to therapy for post-traumatic stress disorder. I didn't ask for that. Nobody that was there that day asked for it. And here we are facing not be, being able to have access to the therapies and the medications that we need to be able to to function in what society. You, 
Yeah, what do you want viewers to know and what do you want the people that are making these decisions to really understand if you had to say something to them? That there's a human, this isn't just politics, these aren't just laws that um, affect their paychecks, this is affecting humanity as a whole. And to the viewers and the listeners, just know that we have to, we have to be accountable. If we are able to um, go online and learn about these laws and learn about what's happening without our legislature, let's learn about it. Let's go out there and make those um, informed decisions and go out there and vote and exercise the rights that we have because it'll, it'll either impact chances, it'll either impact you directly or it'll impact somebody in your community. And it does take a whole community for us to, to, to raise a child. So imagine the effect and the impact it'll have. So if we can be that change, let's be a positive change and learn and, and just remember that there is that human face there. Alma, thank you so much for sharing your story. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. So I want to go back to Devin. Devin, thanks for sticking around with us. You're at the Supreme Court today um, as it considers putting new limits on partisan gerrymandering. Can you please remind our viewers what gerrymandering even is and what's it about? Yeah, hey, Kimberly, yeah, th this is drawing a lot of attention today. The biggest cases on gerrymandering in a generation, uh, advocates say here. Gerrymandering is, remember, the act of drawing political district boundaries based on political preferences. So if you've ever looked at a congressional map uh, in your state, in your district, you may notice that they're very strangely shaped, uh, cutting and carving, uh, very unusual shapes. Uh, that's because partisans, lawmakers in each state draw these for their own political advantage. And today at the Supreme Court, uh, just came out of the courtroom, the justices are grappling with when is too political unconstitutional? Can drawers of those districts cross the line by packing Democrats into one district and Republicans into the other? They were very skeptical about setting new rules on that, thinking it should be left to the states. But I got to tell you, there's a lot of interest out here. You can probably see it behind me. This is just the line to get in this afternoon uh, for the second session. Uh, we saw uh, a lot of uh, activity earlier here. Erica King and Janet Weinstein, uh, our producers, were, were here for a rally just behind me with Arnold Schwarzenegger, the Republican former governor uh, of California. We also saw former Democratic Attorney General Eric Holder. They are joining forces to ask the court to come up with some new rules. Of course, uh, Kimberly, as you know, we're headed toward the 2020 census when all of the lines in the country, all the district lines, will be redrawn in each state. So whether they set rules could have a real impact on uh, political representation here in Washington come 2020. Yeah, big crowds out there and more big news at the court today. This is a great day to be at the Supreme Court because you're there when Chief Justice John Roberts just denied a request to temporarily delay the Trump administration's ban on bump stocks. And we remember back in December, the government gave owners 90 days to turn them in or destroy them. So what's going on there with that deadline? Yeah, some breaking news here at the court this morning as well. And that bump stock ban, it, as you mentioned, took effect at midnight last night. Uh, the federal government, Trump administration now making it illegal to possess a bump stock. It's a felony crime up to 10 years in prison. Uh, but the Gun Owners Association, Gun, Owner, Gun, Gun Owners of America, a number of other gun groups had asked the Supreme Court for an emergency stay. They wanted to temporarily put that ban on hold. There are two different cases. As you said, Chief Justice John Roberts denied the stay, said the ban can go into effect. But we're still waiting to hear from Justice Sonia Sotomayor. She could uh, put a stop to things later today. So stay tuned here on ABC News Live. Kimberly? Thank you so much, Devin. We appreciate it. So what people can forget is that 
the aftermath and the trauma of these mass shootings that we have witnessed in recent years, all of the trauma lasts long past the event. So in the past two weeks, two Parkland students and a father of a Sandy Hook victim died in apparent suicide. Uh, Missy Mendo, who survived the Columbine massacre in 1999, she sat down with ABC's uh, morning news podcast, Start Here, uh, to discuss survivor's guilt and lasting trauma. So take a look. You know, survivor's guilt is is such a strong presence in so many survivors that I have spoken to. I know that when things had happened after our school, it took a very, very long time for me to allow my parents to hug me because I almost felt guilty that I was able to hug my parents and that they were able to hug me. And it was because there were some parents that weren't able to hold their children that night. And I, it's devastating. It comes and goes for myself, but I know that it's a very, very real feeling for many survivors. I am a new parent. I have a 10-month-old daughter. It's my first daughter. And I can only imagine, I can only imagine, I have no idea what the hurt of, and the loss it would feel to be a parent and to lose her. Um, something also that I found was there were many parents who were, at the time we were children, were just looking for ways to help their children. Other parents, it was a totally different time frame. You know, we've also heard of parents saying, well, you know, you need to get over this and you just can't say that. You can't do that. You need to embrace and listen. And I think that that is very, very important, embracing and listening. Now, if you or anyone you know is facing these issues, there's always help available. Just call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline number. It's 1-800-273-8255. All right, so we want to move on to Boeing. The elusive black box from the downed Boeing 737 MAX jet is finally in the hands of the U.S. and international investigators. So I want to go to David Curley, who's at Dulles Airport, with the latest. David? Kimberly, a lot happening on this story, the 737 MAX, in the next couple of days. Today, it's expected that the FAA, or at least in the coming hours, will certify a software update for the MAX aircraft and that anti-stall system known as MCAS. It's believed that that was a contributor to the first crash in Indonesia. It could be in Ethiopia as well. We have not heard from the Ethiopians yet. On Wednesday, Boeing rolls out the software. It should be certified ahead of that. There will be Senate hearings as well on Wednesday, looking into whether the relationship between Boeing and the FAA in the certification process is too cozy. Maybe as a preemptive move, the Department of Transportation has announced they're putting together a commission to look at that exact question and will present that to Congress during that hearing on Wednesday. Now let's talk about the black box stadium. The Ethiopians have had it for about a week and a half now. We've learned that they shared it with American and European investigators just over the weekend, finally sharing it, and with Boeing as well. So they all know what caused the second crash and whether it's related to the first crash in Indonesia. But international protocol, the Ethiopians are in charge of the investigation. They're the ones who will release any information. They say they will have a preliminary report later this week. But Boeing's not waiting. It's rolling out that software update on Wednesday with about 200 customers who will be in the Seattle area to learn about it. Media has been invited too. Boeing trying to repair its reputation of this aircraft 
as it rolls out this software update. Meanwhile, we've seen pictures. Airlines have had to park their planes. Southwest putting in a whole line of planes in the California desert, waiting for this software update to try and get these fleets back in the air. It's a question of training and simulator time. How much training will the pilots need with this software update and whether or not they're going to have to spend time in a simulator? Uh, Boeing sold this aircraft with minimal training and simulator time. If it actually requires additional simulator time, that's very difficult for the airlines. You've got to take a pilot out of rotation for a day or two to get them into a simulator to uh, test the software. Uh, there is a possibility that some pilots with a lot of hours will not need simulator time, but will do some additional training, which would be going through a manual, or it could be on an iPad, uh, just about how this system is going to act differently. And one last point, the uh, New York Times is reporting that over the weekend, uh, we know that Boeing had some pilots in a simulator and they tested the old anti-stall system and they were actually very surprised by how aggressive it is. And then they actually tested this new software update that they're unveiling. One pilot telling the New York Times that he thought there'd be like 40 seconds if somebody didn't do something uh, to nose up the aircraft uh, to keep it from crashing with the earlier version of this anti-stall software. So a lot happening in the next couple of days, the whole effort to get this fleet back in the air and Boeing trying to convince people that this is a safe aircraft and they can fly it. Kimberly? Thank you, David, with the updates. So now the issues with edible marijuana are high and not just in the trippy sense of the word. A new study shows that emergency room visits for edibles is on the rise. So I wanna to go to Clayton Sandell, who's in Denver with more. Clayton? Hey, Kimberly. Yeah, I was here in 2014 when recreational marijuana became legal. Medical marijuana had been legal long before that. And experts for a while have been saying that emergency room visits uh, related to marijuana have been on the rise. But now uh, researchers here at the University of Colorado Hospital say that they're seeing a spike not from necessarily smoking pot, though they are seeing that, but the real spike is coming from edible marijuana. There's things like pot-infused brownies, candies, drinks. They, marijuana, the THC chemical, can be infused into a lot of different products that you can ingest. And that is what is causing this new spike uh, in emergency room visits. They say that even though edibles make up a very small percentage of overall sales, it's just 0.3%, they're responsible or linked to uh, more than 10% of all ER visits. And that, uh, researchers say, is 33 times higher than they expected. Now, the symptoms are serious. I mean, they can range from things like hallucinations, panic attacks, uh, even things like irregular heartbeats and even heart attacks. Now, researchers say one of the reasons that this is happening is when you smoke marijuana, it goes directly into your lungs and you start to feel the effects immediately. But when you're eating a marijuana product, it can take much longer to enter your bloodstream. And in fact, the high uh, may not reach its peak for about three hours. So what happens is people think the edible isn't working. So they start to uh, mistakenly start taking more and more of it in. And then all of a sudden it kicks in and basically you're in an overdose situation. So the industry has long told people that they need to follow the directions on the packaging make sure they are taking the proper dosage. And they're also, they also warned that, you know, these things like cookies and candy, a kid is not going to know the difference sometimes. So they say, if you do have kids in the house, make sure that uh, all of those products are kept out of their reach. Kimberly. 
Thank you, Clayton. I know a lot of people who need to know this information. And for more on this story, I want to bring in Dr. Linda Drobsdewitz and Dr. Layla Hagegat, both with ABC News's medical unit. unit. So ladies, what's the biggest takeaway uh, from this story, this study, you think? Thanks, Kimberly. Yeah, I think the biggest takeaway message is that we there's a difference between edible and inhaled marijuana. And it seems to be that edible marijuana may have uh, potential harms um, that we were not aware of and that are different from inhaled marijuana. And now most people seem to be doing fine with the edible marijuana that they are taking, uh, but there is that risk for harm. And specifically with edible marijuana, those harms are some psychiatric problems, so things like psychosis, panic attacks, and then also problems specific to the heart, so abnormal heart rhythms and even heart attacks. So what's, what's your advice to people um, in the states where marijuana is actually legal? It's a good question. Um, so just being mindful of some of the things that Clayton mentioned, which is that with edible marijuana, there is a lag time between when the person ingests the, the drug and when it kicks into the body. So unlike inhaled marijuana where you immediately feel its effects, with edible marijuana that can take as early as 30 minutes, 30 minutes to two hours. And so it's important to, to wait because what might end up happening is if people feel like they're chasing a high, that they're not getting the effect, that they take too much of the drug. Um, so it's important to wait several hours before feeling like another dose is needed. So Dr. Linda, I just wanna make sure that I'm being clear here. The study is basically saying, be careful and know what you're eating, right? I mean, because at the end of the day, the products aren't really dangerous. So absolutely, any drug or medication, if you take too much, can be dangerous. So it's important to be aware of your body. Like Dr. Hagegat said, don't take too much. Go really slow, especially if you're inexperienced. Um, and just seek help if you're concerned. All right, guys, I appreciate it so much. Thanks for giving us your insight. All right, thank, thank you. you. All right, so we're moving on to some breaking news out of Chicago. Um, there was a statement that was released by Jesse Smollett's lawyer saying that all criminal charges against Jesse Smollett were dropped and his record has been wiped clean of uh, this, you know, the complaint against him, uh, the event on January 29th. So I want to go to Stephanie Wash, who's in Chicago with more. Stephanie? Kimberly, um, today has been a shocker. We were expecting to see Jesse Smollett back in court um, in April. Uh, he was going to be here with his lawyers uh, for a discovery hearing. And today's emergency hearing uh, was announced through the PR rep for his lawyers. We learned that there was some sort of emergency court hearing that would be happening in Chicago in front of the judge and that there would be some sort of huge announcement after. Um, now, what we obviously have learned is that Jesse Smollett, who had been indicted on those 16 felony counts for filing a false report um, of a crime, those criminal charges have now been dropped by the state. As you said, Kimberley, his record has been wiped clean. His, uh, his lawyers releasing a statement just moments ago saying that he was a victim who was vilified and made to appear as a perpetrator. Um, and that, you know, there have been inappropriate remarks that made the public uh, make this inappropriate rush to judgment. So this is a huge shocker. Um, this is something we were not expecting and just learned about moments ago. Are we going to hear from him today? I mean, this, this is a shocker because I think people will have a lot of questions that are still unanswered. Do you think he will say anything today about all of this? 
Yeah, so his uh, uh, PR rep for his attorney says that his attorneys and Jesse Smollett himself are expected to speak at some point today to the media. All right, Stephanie, thank you so much. We appreciate it. All right, guys, and as you know, a big day yesterday in Cupertino as Apple at Apple's star-studded event where the company announced a few things, including its new video streaming service. Apple Card. Apple! <laughs> yeah, you see Oprah there. So I want to go to Becky Worley, our ABC News technology contributor in San Francisco. Uh, Becky, give us a recap on what they were uh, providing, you know, what they announced yesterday and why this is such a big deal. Well, Kimberly, I think it's a big deal. To paraphrase the Wall Street Journal, it's because the iPhone is running out of juice and Apple has to get creative, literally and figuratively, to come up with new revenue streams. Uh, Star-studded is right. I think everybody knew that there was going to be original programming announced from Apple. They've basically launched a service called Apple TV Plus, a sort of a, colloquially rumored to be called a Netflix killer inside uh, the Cupertino headquarters of Apple. But what was surprising is the star power that they launched with. So Steven Spielberg is going to have an original show called Amazing Stories. Uh, Kumail Nanjani is going to have a story called Little America about immigrant stories. Oprah, you just saw there, doing documentaries about sexual harassment and mental health issues. And the one I really can't wait to watch after 15 years at Good Morning America is from Reese Witherspoon and uh, Jennifer Aniston called The Morning Show. So I think it really surprised the industry that they have five shows in production, they've spent a billion dollars already, and we really are looking forward to seeing what they come out with. Is there anything that you're most excited about out of all of those announcements? Uh, well, you know, there's a lot of uh, breadth in terms of their uh, aspirations to be content providers. So not only are they doing original programming, but they've bumped up their Apple TV app. So the app will now be available on the Mac. And this is interesting because Apple has always been, from the mind of Steve, Steve Jobs, a hardware company. So now they're really switching. So this app is going to be on some of the smart TVs produced by Samsung, produced by LG, Sony. It's even going to be on some of the Roku devices. So this is a big departure from the original vision of Apple as hardware company. And uh, given that they need to keep that revenue stream increasing as people replace their iPhones at a slower pace, I guess that makes sense. I think people are really interested in the credit card. Do you have any details on that? I'm really curious. The credit card is fascinating. So we've had Apple Pay for a while, but some credit cards don't work with Apple Pay. And Apple, like many retailers, doesn't want to pay those credit card fees that are a charge to those middlemen. So Apple has paired with Goldman Sachs and they're coming out with their own credit card. This is a real what we would call fintech play uh, for millennials. So you will get this card, you'll apply for it, you'll get it, you'll have a physical card, but it'll also live inside of your iPhone. And it's a cashback card. You get 2% back on most purchases. It'll work internationally and supposedly it's going to be launched internationally and there's no international transfer fee which is a big deal for people who send money overseas. Uh, the idea that you can pay with your watch or your phone uh, and that that's all right there in an app so you can see your budget, you can pay your bills. It's really trying to take technology, apply it to the financial sector and really appeal to millennials. 
All right, Becky, thank you so much. Apple seems like it's the future. Thank you. We appreciate it. All right, my friends, I hope you continue to take care of yourselves. You're going to want to check out our political show at 3.30 called The Briefing Room. And you're going to want to check out World News Prime at 8 p.m. And if you want to stay updated on all of these headlines, you can go to abcnews.com or download the app. I'm Kimberly Brooks. I'll see you tomorrow.